Welcome to the Creativity Everything podcast, where we get to learn from creators in all fields about everything creative. Hello, bonjour, and welcome to this new episode of the Creativity Everything podcast. In this conversation, I got to talk with Amanda Scriver, a Toronto-based freelance journalist and body positivity activist. We got to talk about her background, why and how she started, and why she decided to share these stories in particular, and how her journey evolved over time. She also shares her experience with art therapy, and for once, I got to be on the other side and answered questions about my own creative practice. It was so inspiring and wonderful to hear about Amanda's story and feel her energy, so I hope you will enjoy this conversation as much as I did. So, without further ado, let's listen to Amanda. Hey there, Amanda. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the first season of the Creativity Everything podcast. I'm very grateful that you're taking the time and being open to share with us a bit about your creative process. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited about this conversation because during the research for this interview, it was actually, I have to say, uh, my first time learning about body positivity and this concept and I could relate on so many levels and I feel like it's helping me <laughs> work through a lot of things. Uh, and at the same time, I'm very curious to learn about how you're combining your creativity with your activism and how the two talk with each other. So I thought before we dive into these topics, um, just for all of us to get an understanding of your creative journey and where you're at currently. I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about how you got into journalism and how you figured out that writing and nonfiction writing and specifically journalism was something you wanted to pursue. So I think I, to think about where I started, it would probably have to be when I was younger. So often I would write about, I would write about my life or I would just write about my feelings and emotions uh, in diaries and journals. And writing really inspired me to sort of like navigate through all of that. Uh, I'd say I'm probably 2014 or 2015 timelines. How do they work? Uh, I feel like you know, being in a pandemic when we don't get to leave our house, time seems really relative as well. Uh, um, so 2015 or so, I had started a blog called Fat Girl Food Squad. Uh, it talked about the intersections between food, fat, and feminism. And there was a bunch of uh, other writers that were involved with that. Uh, but I was the co-founder of that we started that to sort of talk about, you know, as a activism blog, but also just to sort of like work, work through our own relationships to our bodies and food. And I guess through that blog was when I decided that I loved telling these types of stories. Now I should just 
pause right there for a moment to say, I don't have any formal journalism training. I didn't go to school. I actually went to college for public public relations. So that's formally where my training is. Um, and when I started the blog and when we decided to end it, um, which was like two or um, we weren't making any money because it was an activism based blog. And although it was a passion project, you know, we wanted to be able to pay our writers what they were worth and we weren't able to do that. So when we ended up like closing the blog, I really had to sit down and uh, really ask myself, do I want to continue to tell these stories? And if I want to continue to tell these stories, um, how can I do that? And one way to continue to do that was through pitching stories to larger mainstream outlets and writing either personal essays or larger features. So getting into mainstream journalism. And it was really scary for me because, I, again, I, I am not formally trained. And a lot of it was just learning as I went and sort of having really kind folks helping me, lots of kind editors helping me, and just believing in the ideas. So that's a little bit about how I got started. So it sounds like you were putting one foot in front of the other and then figuring it out along the way. And I guess as I was listening to you, my a question that came to my mind was, how did you figure out that you wanted to tell these stories specifically? Yeah, um, I think it was really important for me to tell stories that related to, you know, fat activism or body image or mental health, just any of those sort of topics, because they were all things that sort of were happening in my life and were really important to me, but I also felt needed to be talked about and weren't being talked about as much as they should be talked about in mainstream media. And, you know, that saying is, I think it goes something like, if not me, then who? I don't think that's the exact way it goes, but I thought, you know, if I can be that person that that writes the story, then I then great. I, I want to put that out into the universe. So I just started putting myself out there and doing it. And sometimes I'd throw things at the wall and they'd stick. And sometimes I'd throw things at the wall and they wouldn't stick. That's a great way of putting it. I love that analogy. Um, how do you find Like, do you have examples of what stuck to the wall and what didn't and how you handled that? Yeah, I, I, I mean, sometimes hmm, I one of the pieces that I'm most proud of was a piece that I wrote for it was actually in Flare. And it was about how plus size clothing swaps actually build community. So it was more than just, it was more than just about like having clothing and it was more than just about like going to swaps, but it was about the community that you build 
when you're going to these swaps and the people that you meet and how you can look forward to like making new friends. Uh, and it, so many of my clothes are actually swapped. Like I, I could probably go out and buy like new clothes, but I love the fact that I could go to a clothing swap every month, month and meet new individuals. And I, so like, again, sometimes you just have to like, like have this idea and think about like, what is something that I love in my life? And I'm going to throw that to a publication and see if they like love it and are invested in it as much as I am. And if they are great. Someone's getting to pay you for these fantastic ideas that you have um, in terms of things that haven't haven't stuck hmm. um, you know I I am in the midst I I, I, can't, I can't really talk about it right now uh, I can I can vaguely talk about it but I'm in the midst of trying to launch a, a, a digital project project that might be happening. Uh, I'm waiting for some funding to come through, which is why I'm talking very vaguely at it. And actually, before the pandemic hit, I had had this idea. It's for a, a storytelling event um, where I wanted to bring storytellers together. Initially, it was just storytellers in Toronto to come together to speak about their lived experience. Now, there's lots of storytelling events that happen in the city of Toronto, but the way I wanted to make it a little bit different was give them a theme and then also give them a time limit so they would only have like six minutes and then they would all have to write on the same theme and then see how everybody else interprets that theme. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I don't know if that will happen. It, it may happen. But these are just sort of the ways, like, it, it, it also might not happen. I might find out that the, the funding that I applied for gets denied. Mm -hmm. from, from what you just said, and if I think back to what stuck, um, it sounds like you start with with yourself, your own passions and your own lived experiences and then you build upon that and use that for in a creative way to um, make a living because you get paid for it and also uh, to share what you believe matters for the rest of society and the world and so I, I really like that way of You start with yourself and what feels right and what feels true and what feels good to you. And it sounds like you feel that it needs to be talked about because it's, also, it's universal in a way. It's represented in other places or not represented because it, it specifically it's not represented in the mainstream media, but it is prevalent in the rest of society. Which, which is why we need to be talking about this in mainstream media. Yeah, exactly. And I think like sometimes I think of I am one person who is experiencing this, but I can't be the only person who is thinking and experiencing this. So I want to share my thoughts and feelings with others so that maybe there's someone else out there who is also thinking this. And then which kind of goes back also to just to like 
timeline hop, it also kind of goes back to why we originally launched Fat Girl Food Squad, because we were like, there must be other people out there in the universe who also think and feel this way, and we want to be friends with all of them. (laughs) So it's like, we want to be friends with all of them. And, you know, this is what I think about when I write my, my pieces too. I'm like, I, I am this person. I'm sure there are other people experiencing this. I want to like be friends with these people and I want to like talk to them about their life experience. It, it's the beauty of the internet making it possible to find these communities that might not be right in front of you or in your neighborhood. Maybe they are, but maybe it's harder to see. Um, and David Gauntlet, actually, who is uh, the head of research at the Creativity Everything Lab, uh, wrote a book about this, on which is called Making is Connecting. And so he explores how creativity and creative communities um, were able to inspire each other and uh, build onto one and build creative work onto one another, thanks to. Um, the digital era we're in and the internet. But um, what you said about how you feel like other people are feeling the same way. And if you're not the only one you want to share that story, it's also showing the power of the healing power that there is when you see your story or whatever you're feeling being told by an artist, um, a writer, someone who has that sensitivity and is creating something around that feeling and that sensation that you feel inside of you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it's so important to either engage in media where you see yourself represented, be that like stories or photos or movies what have you, whatever your form of like media is. And I think it's so important for me to like contribute in this, in this dialogue and to sort of like be a part of that. And I'm, I'm only one person. I'm only like a small little nugget of the big microcosm that is, but it's important for me to like be a part of that and to sort of like, you know, create And also like connect with others because when I was growing up, I didn't have that at all. And I I wanted and needed that so badly. I feel like you're doing a lot. (laughs) I feel like you're not a small small nugget in this microcosmos because it's like you're doing so much and obviously – one it's true one person can only do so much and it needs to be a whole uh movement and for culture to shift uh it takes years and decades um but it's thanks to people like you and work like yours that it's possible that these shifts happen because more and more people get together and do these type of work then the movement starts to happen yeah, exactly. Um, I'm curious to learn about, you mentioned how you didn't have formal training with journalism um, or writing, but it's always been something that is that has been a part of your life. Um, I'm curious to learn about how that process 
of yours has changed and has evolved over the years, whether um, when you started, I'm guessing when you started writing and how I was expressing your feelings, that must have been different than now when you write a piece professionally um, and when you get a commission. So could you talk about the difference in, in that process? Yeah. So I would say when I first, <laughs> I go back and read some of the pieces when I like first started writing professionally and I was like, wow, <laughs> I like my writing style has changed one so much. And two, I had such nice editors who like worked with me because <laughs> my writing was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's not, it's not even so much that my writing was really bad, but just like, there's so much growth that has happened in me as a writer. And I think it's good to look back on, on writing that you've done from years ago to writing that you've done now. Um, so yeah, I think it, it, like for me, it, it, I was learning from the school of hard knocks, if you will. So really just learning from like my peers who would help me through like what, what is ahead what is a deck? What, what, it, what is all this like journalistic jargon that people are telling me that I need to put into like these pieces that I'm writing because I literally do not understand. And I like, you know, it was, it was difficult at first. I, I'm, I would be lying if I, if I said it was easy, it wasn't. But, um, there was a lot that I also learned through blogging and I already had a very like natural tone and voice. So that made it a lot easier. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it was, it was hard. And now uh, if we fast forward to today, so at least like five or six years ahead, I I'm signed with a book agent. I'm working on my first essay collection uh, I got to go to the Banff Center for the Arts last year as like an emerging writer. Uh, so like a lot's happened <laughs> and I can, yeah, like a lot has happened. And I also realized that your craft and writing is always changing and you have to always continue to work on yourself so I am always taking different classes to sort of like change how I envision what my craft looks like I just finished up a memoir writing class I just finished like a satire and humor writing class I finished a like personal essay writing class like just because you took a class once or you went to journalism school or you did insert whatever here doesn't mean that you know everything. You have to continue like learning and adapting your style. I love that mindset because it's uh, it just shows that you're a lifelong learner and how... I mean, the world is evolving. And if you get to a point where you're like, all right, I'm tired and I don't want to learn anymore, especially I feel like in journalism, you need to be constantly be open and open to be challenged because so many new things are happening all the time in the world. And it's so great to hear because I feel like what you're saying about your craft with writing and with journalism, you can apply that to 
so many other things and it's very empowering for creators in other fields who might not be formally trained like you but as you just said fast forward five to six years um, after you started and you're accomplishing all these things and so that just shows the importance of sticking to whatever you committed to because it's going to pay off in the long run. Yeah. And I think sometimes people always ask me, they're like, how did you do it? Like, how, like, how did you get there? And I'm like, well, I've also been like writing or blogging or like now professionally writing, quote unquote, for I would say almost 10 years. So it's not like it happened overnight. It's not like one day I woke up and I was like, yay, I've accomplished the thing. It's been something that I've been working at for so long. And it's something that I like continue to work at for and will continue to work at for so long. So probably for the rest of my life. So I think if this is something like that you really love and you're invested in and you like want to be a writer or you want to be a journalist or you want to like write a book or whatever your goal is, you can't just decide like I've done the one thing and now that's it and rest on your laurels if you will you have to like you have to like continue to hone your craft and it's in that process of continuing to hone your craft that you'll create things that other people see as being talent and seeing as these accomplishments when you're actually just on your path honing your craft and it sounds like you're doing it Well, you're very mission-driven, and that's obvious, but at the same time, it sounds like you're doing it also for for the process. 100%. So even, even let's say, with this uh, storytelling event that I'm uh, attempting to launch, we'll we'll see. That's the new thing that I've thrown at the wall. There's so much that I can learn from these individuals – that will be taking part. And so who so many, I think there's three or four that are on my lineup that I actually went to Banff with. And with that, it's like we can mutually work together and collaborate together. And there's so much that like I can learn from them, but they can also in turn take from me. It's like this mutual creative collaboration process. And I think sometimes people get like really precious about their work and they get really scared to share um, how how they work through this process. So um, I was actually talking to a friend before we started recording about how there's some writer workshop groups that I'm a part of and how we will sort of like give feedback to one another on our pieces And she said to me, doesn't that get really like, aren't you, aren't you worried like about getting all all these different voices and opinions on your work? And I said, no, because you can't be precious about what you're writing. You have to understand that like one person might say something, but then another person might say something and it might not even like you can take it for a grain of salt. It might not like be worth it. Like you can do with it what you will. 
<laughs> but yeah. the the value of feedback though is I find personally that it helps my work so much because if I just know that my brain doesn't think as well as two brains or three brains. <laughs> yes, <laughs> seriously. It's like I and I realize that um when I work alone, I just don't feel as motivated or I don't have that as much um like you know what you said about how you build on uh other people's work and is that creative collaboration and you're sharing all of that. I find that personally this is where I get my energy uh, of when I see other people's ideas and and then that makes me think of other ideas but when I feel like I'm alone with myself in my head um, it's just in a vacuum and it's not as fulfilling 100% I agree with you I need to like I can obviously write pieces and when I'm writing those pieces I'm obviously alone but so often I need to collaborate with others in order to like be fulfilled and thrive. And so often I need to sort of like hear from others also. So whether that be feedback or if it's just a project where I need to like have that feedback to know like, hey, like what is working? What is not working? how does this like sound? Should I like change this? Because sometimes, uh, and this was great advice that my agent gave me, (laughs) but sometimes we get too close to something and we, we can get blinded by the fact that we're so close to it and we love it so much that we don't realize that we need others feedback on, on it. It's like you're so in love with your work that you're blinded by it. Yeah. yeah. And then when objectively you take a step back and you get another person's opinion or perspective, because you know your truth is your truth and their truth is their truth. And then the actual truth is in the middle. (laughs) But you won't know the truth until you actually share both of your points of views. Exactly. I mean, there's one, um, one essay that... Originally, so an essay that's going to be part of my manuscript for my book, It, I started writing it at Banff last year. It start, clocked in at like 1,800 words. I have been workshopping it with a group. Um, once those edits were done, it was 2,000. I sent it to my agent. It is now 4,000 words. <laughs> so just to give you some perspective of like, I was like, 1,800 words. It's like totally done. And now it's at 4,000. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm so glad we talked about feedback because that's something I feel very passionate about. And it's just one of the realizations I've had recently about my creative process and pretty much how I want to live life too. But um, if I think back to what you said at the beginning of the answer on how you went back to look at what you wrote at the beginning of your professional career with journalism and how you saw the difference. I love this idea of taking the time to look back at what you wrote. Um, and I feel like personally in my creative process, I I don't know, maybe because it's too early, but I, 
it's hard for me to do that. And so I'm wondering if you have, um, if you have found a way to kind of do it systematically, or if you just feel like it sometimes, and then that's when you realize, or do you have a, a process on, on how you do it? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, I don't know if there's really a process that I had. I think what's been interesting for me is that because I've had to, this, this book that I'm writing is memoir, nonfiction, and a lot of what I have to do is you have to really keep the timeline, um, which is kind of also similar to journalistic integrity. <laughs> so a lot of um, a lot of what I've had to do is go back through uh, my social media. I've also had to go back through like old Instagram timelines. I've had to go back through emails. I've had to go back through my Google Drives to read old stuff. And in some of that are old drafts of pieces that I've written. And it's, yeah. So I think um, it's been a little bit of a trip that way. <laughs> so it's, it, it's not like I've been like trying to challenge myself to go back and look um, because, but it's, it's that I've had, I've had to go back uh, and look to sort of make sure <laughs> make sure my timeline is correct. And in that, it's been a little, um, it's been, yeah, it's been interesting to just see like my growth as a person, but also my growth in my trajectory as a writer. Mm -hmm. it, it You went back to serve a purpose. As you said, it was not, not just because it's, you're doing it with a reason why. Yeah. I, I won't lie. I think I think if if I like I don't I don't think I would go back. It's it's kind of like do you, let let me ask you a question. Do you have difficulty going back and listening to yourself? Oh gosh. Um so well listening to myself I had to overcome that because in this podcast process I have to listen to um for the editing, we have to listen to the whole thing and, you know, when to cut and everything. So I had to overcome that, but I definitely feel that with my writing. I journal a lot and I've always journaled and I can't, like, it, it just, I get a visceral reaction <laughs> from reading whatever I wrote if it's not older than, like, three years where I'm like, you know, when I have... When I have that thought of, oh, I wonder what I was thinking about four years ago. And at least I have a journal that I can kind of look back at. But if it's looking back at what's happening, uh, you know, a month ago, I I don't know why, but I just can't. It, it makes me, yeah, I just have that physical reaction against it. And now I'm feeling it also kind of with my much less but with my other creative process being um visual arts it, it's um I guess it depends on how what it was made if I think about a piece that I didn't feel good when I was making then I don't want to look at it but then if I look at a piece that when I know I felt good and things were good then it brings me joy in in a way. I wouldn't put it on the wall because 
I don't know why I can't, but it's, I know it's kind of there in the corner. Um, and so I guess that goes back to, it's the process of it. Ultimately, it's not the product. Well, I feel like because I had the physical experience of making that thing, then I associate that thing with that physical experience. So for me, I have such a physical reaction because I have to record all of my interviews. Mm -hmm. I cannot listen back to myself, like to transcribe. No, it's like, (laughs) I know every, like every journalism prof is like, you must transcribe your own transcriptions. Like you should listen to your voice to know what you're doing wrong. And I, for anybody that's listening to this, don't listen to me because I am going to give you the wrong advice, but I send off all of my things to be transcribed because I literally cannot like it drive it. Like, no, I'm like, I can't do it. It like, it's yeah. It gives it much like yourself. Like it, for me, it gives me a visceral, a visceral reaction and I can't do it. So I'm, I'm doing it the wrong way apparently, but that's fine because well, it's your way, you know, like who says it's right <laughs> or wrong. You, you know, I, I've just realized these things where, you know, maybe it's not the most efficient or the most, like highly technical way but it's my way and it's working and ultimately it's about feeling good in whatever we're doing and that's what living a good life is and so even if we're not following the prescribed path which we aren't (laughs) from what it sounds like then just um shaking off these preconceived ideas um maybe they work for other people but ultimately it's about knowing what works for you exactly it works for me that's what matters um i know you talked about sort of like making visual art Mm -hmm. what kind of like do you paint um yes i've been painting and drawing specifically um I was lucky enough uh, and very privileged to get um, an iPad so I could um, draw on the iPad, which makes the workflow and the the process so much easier than on paper uh, if I want to export it or do anything with it. Um, And it allows for collaboration, as we were talking about earlier, a lot it makes it a lot easier because I had started uh, on paper with ink um, with some of the fountain pens I had and obviously the the texture and, and everything is something I love. It's in my creative journey, I went from, I've always written and I only thought that's what I could do, but I always loved looking at visual art um, and going to museums and galleries and I just thought it was something that other people could do and some some people had the talent and some people didn't and it's only recently that I realized well if you don't try it ever (laughs) you're never gonna know and then um, I used the same fountain pens that I used to use for my writing now for my drawings and I think I think that was like my way of reclaiming 
that I could do it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so mainly drawings with ink and and a bit of painting. But now I'm also realizing that I don't want to box myself in one media and I can just let go at, at the beginning when I started I was like okay I'm gonna get really good at this and I'm gonna concentrate on this and it was actually very draining um because I think the way I just operate is by going into like doing a little bit of this and then doing a little bit of that and then doing doing a little bit of this and I felt guilty for most of my life for having all these different interest and passions and I felt like I was going in all directions when actually going in all these di different directions is actually what's giving me energy to be able to do whatever that one thing that I'm trying to do mm -hmm. yeah I actually uh this was it this year yeah So I was in a trauma therapy program at Women's College Hospital, and one of the sort of sub-programs that I took was an art therapy program. And in that program, I, like, I don't consider myself an artist by any means. Um, but in that program, I, I really got into collaging, and it was really helpful in a lot of different ways. Um, there was clay there, but I didn't really get into it. And I was supposed to take a clay class. Um, but my clay, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that got canceled due to COVID. Um, and one of the things that we actually talked in my, uh, art therapy class was that, uh, clay is supposed to like really be helpful for when you're feeling stressed for when you've you're feeling like triggered in any sort of way. So, which is why I wanted to really go and explore that medium. Um, but yeah, collaging has been something that I've been super interested in. And I've tried to also use that medium for zine making as well. Um, and I tried to like, channel that into sort of like also as a as a form of activism work as well so I remember I think it was last year or again timelines how do they work um, I taught a I, I I taught a sort of like a group class on like zine making as a form of activism in terms of fat activism and I brought in all of these like magazines that were you know diet magazines like men's health and like shape <laughs> like the worst of the worst and sort of we're trying to like I gave different prompts to all the people who were in the class and we're just sort of like okay like here here are the prompts and I want you to create a page based off of this one prompt and some of the like the pages that folks would create was were so incredible and amazing uh and I wish I could like, I, I remember I would like take pictures and I would ask people if it was okay. But just some of the things that people would create were so amazing about like create reclaiming their own body or reclaiming like hair on their body or reclaiming like, you know, taking up space. And it was so cool to see how we could take something that was inherently like shamey or fat phobic 
and turn it into something that was super positive and awesome. Wow, I love this. This is so beautiful. <laughs> uh, maybe at this point, because I don't think we explained uh, this since the beginning of the conversation, but for people who are listening and might not know what um, body positivity is and reclaiming your identity and, and your body, do you mind giving a little bit um, of an overview of um, of what it all means and the TLDR version of it all? Because I know we can go into a rabbit hole of this. Oh, yeah. So... I think the short version, so body positivity is sort of like a movement or an assertion, what have you, that you should just feel positive in your body, no matter what shape or size you are. Um, and no matter your appearance, I think that's like the biggest thing. Um, and that body positivity should include people no matter your ability, your race, your like, uh, yeah, it should just include everybody. All people should be like included no matter who they are. And yeah. So I think the thing is, is that when we talk about body positivity, it's like, it can be complicated because body positivity sort of stemmed from the fat activism movement And it's the fat activism movement specifically centers on fat bodies, period, and sort of like challenging anti-fat bias in society. So, and that means that like people who, you know, have a hatred towards fat people, <laughs> I think that's like the way to put that. Um, and so the thing is, Yeah, just a bias, hence anti-fat bias. <laughs> and 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 trying to like change the societal norms and uh, Western beauty standards. So I think in in mainstream media, we tend to sort of cater towards thin white women um, and how we can break that Western beauty standard so that, that is not the norm anymore. I think that's like, yeah, that's, that's, that's a, that's a brief <laughs> explanation of what that is. Yeah. That's the, that's the nutshell of what that is without getting into like the, you know, we, we could be here all day and yes. I could go into more specifics, but yeah. I loved how you talked about with the zine making the, how people were using creativity to reclaim their body image and their identity. And I didn't think about that, but there's something about, um, and then when you were talking about your experience with collaging um, and how it's known that clay really helps processing trauma and is really good for therapy. There's something about the physical medium um of just touching uh things that we don't really have in our modern western societies where if it's all digital um and i'm guessing you're mostly writing on the on a laptop so you don't have mm -hmm. the, yep. the physical um 
well, I guess besides the keyboard, um, I just like, do you remember that a moment when you started working with collaging and other physical, more physical, not digital mediums, whether something changed or shifted or did you notice uh, a difference? Yeah, so I think it was probably my best friend, whose name is Alex. They are, they're an artist, they draw, and I was always so drawn to them sort of creating. And I felt like, oh, I am so not an artistic person. I like, I can't do this. Uh, and they were like, no, you can totally do this. Like you should, you should try, like try this. I'm sure you would like love to do this. So they really encouraged me to just like try it and see how I felt about it. Um, and I would say that that was probably in like the end of 2017, 2018, Um, and I didn't like, there was such a like mental block mm -hmm. about that. I couldn't do it. So then when I tried it and I was like, oh, this does feel good. Like, and this is just another way to sort of like express myself and express my activism, but in a new form, mm -hmm. it like sort of, I was able to unlock that and Yeah, I, I I think that's why when I started sort of going to my trauma therapy program and art therapy was offered, I was like, uh, yeah, I'm totally going to take that. That sounds like a great idea. Mm -hmm. That sounds like the, the best way to spend eight weeks. And that was in 2019. And like, I got to paint. <laughs> I got to, you know, collage. I got to like... They also said that if we wanted to write, we could write. So there were some weeks where I got to write poetry and like that was a form and medium that I hadn't experienced since I was in high school. Um, but yeah, I think when I started to sort of like break that mental barrier of like that I couldn't do it and I just started doing it, that's when I was like, oh, this feels good. I love it. And do you find that when you were living these experiences of overcoming that block with these other creative practices and doing more of these um, practices, did, do you find that it helped you with, the, with your writing, like your primary creative process? Um, I found that they were probably hmm I'd say they were like so for example um I would turn it into something that was like adjacent to my writing um I don't know if it would be like helpful because I think it would be more of something to like take my mind off of things or channel what I was thinking or feeling so Um, I, I'm remembering sort of a collage that I put together um, and it was last year just before I went to Banff and during that period it was really stressful because I was being evicted from my home uh, oh. and yeah <laughs> welcome to Toronto uh, <laughs> so we were we were being not renovated but like 
you know, we got the eviction letter that their family was moving into the house. So we needed to leave uh, the other popular eviction notice. So I I had made this collage about just like all of the feelings that I was having. And sort of on one hand, I was super excited. Like, it's so hard to get into Banff. And like, I had applied. And when I got the acceptance letter, I like, thought they sent it to me by mistake (laughs) and (laughs) was so you know like this was such a once in a lifetime experience and like but then on the other hand I was really stressed out because uh you know we were being evicted from home and all so it was like this wonderful way to sort of like channel all these things that I was feeling without like I have friends and I can obviously talk to them about these things, but it was a great way to sort of like unload all of these things that I was feeling into this like beautiful art piece and not have to like unload all of that on my friends because my friends are my friends and they're not my therapists. Oh <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm guessing you must have felt it's like, um, you're externalizing this weight that's inside of you until something that's physical outside of you. And it's like having that physical thing of, all right, now I can flush it out and I'm done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. On. Yeah. It's like turning your brain off for like, you know, the 10 or 15 minutes or longer, however long it took me, I don't remember, but like turning my mind off for however long it took me and then being like, okay, like this is how I'm thinking this is how I'm feeling this is all the emotion that's inside of me right now and I'm gonna put it onto this page and like let's see what like comes out and just like letting my hands and my brain take over and letting them like make the thing and I think sometimes the difference between like creating a collage and creating like a piece of writing is that with writing sometimes it can seem a lot more methodical Like, I have to consider what scenes I'm putting in. I have to consider if it's a piece of journalism, when this, like, source quotes are going to go in. I have to consider, like, uh, like, it's work. It's like, like, and that's not to say that this art, like, this collage is not work. But, like, there's more thought that has to (laughs) go into, like, writing this piece and getting it to where it needs to be and then coming back to it and then editing it. And then it's like hard (laughs) Mm -hmm. and not to say that um visual arts and collage making is also as you said not work and not hard um it depends how the each individual wants to take it and depends what the intention for that thing is but if the intention is to express whatever is inside of you without thinking too much about it then that uh, is a different mm, experience and a different uh, way your brain is working yes exactly like if somebody is painting full-time or somebody is making collage full-time and that is their career like I think the way they're engaging with it is completely different Mm -hmm. than the way I'm engaging with it for sure not to say that um even if you're not a professional, you can't do it. Um, but, no, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> so one last question I had um, for this interview as I was researching it, um, 
something that came to my mind as I was reading a bunch of your articles and on your website about the books you're working on, the essays um, you've written and all the different articles. As a journalist, you're, you must be consuming a lot of media to keep up with current events and, and stay up to date. And so I was wondering, how do you find that it impacts your, your creativity and your creative process? And I was wondering if you had found a way to strike a balance between, all right, I'm not consuming any more input now because I need to sit down and write whatever I've already soaked in. Um, and the reason why I'm asking this is because I find that personally, when I get too much information um, or when I see too much what other people are doing, then it's really hard for me to make anything because I feel like I'm not in touch with my own intuition, which is where things come from for me. So I was wondering if you had found a process for that. What a great question. I talked about this in therapy this week. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, it's funny because something that I struggle with a lot. Um, I think that I do, I do a lot of, yeah, so much of my work is on the internet, which makes it really difficult to disconnect. Um, and I feel like the internet can sometimes be an echo chamber. And what I mean by that is that, you know, you're, You're consumed by so much of what is going on. And also um, a lot of, in order to become like a journalist or, you know, a freelance writer or, you know, whatever, we're, we're told that we, we have to live online. We have to be like tweeting a hot take or we have to be like posting something online And it's really hard <laughs> because uh, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of like hateful people on the internet, <laughs> and there's a lot of like trying to keep up with others on the internet, and it can be really all all consuming mentally and emotionally. And I think. For me, I, I've decided that like I want to be as authentic as I possibly can while also trying to like be on the internet, <laughs> which is difficult to strike a balance with. Um, so I've made a commitment to myself to only post a certain number amount of days on Instagram And then once that's done, I only use Instagram for like work purposes. Um, and what I mean by work purposes is that like, I actually have to be online for, for work. <laughs> so um, if I'm not online for work, then I am very, very rarely if ever on online. <laughs> and um, I mean, I try to like limit my time on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, and I mean, I, I still use it. It's, it's like, I can't not get rid of it, but like, I, I, I very rarely, like I try to limit as much time as I I'm on there. So one of the conversations that I was having with my therapist actually, uh, was that 
I've been getting a lot better at people will always share like, oh my gosh, I did this or oh my gosh, I like, you know, got this piece or oh my gosh, I signed with like this publisher or I did this or I did that. I'm trying to not compare myself to that, but also just focus on this is my journey. This is how it's going. And like, it doesn't matter how long it takes more about the destination and how we're getting there and to not to just sort of shut out everything else um it's It's hard it's like you know it's not (laughs) it's hard not saying it's easy because that would be that would be a lie Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um I, I think that yeah, it's been it's been one of those things that I I recognize and I also have gotten a lot better at like there are people who are going to try and intentionally provoke you uh and just not engaging with those individuals. Absolutely. And I guess the reason why another reason why I asked this question is because I find that Instagram is also, and even Twitter and the internet in general, it's an amazing place for learning and for being connected with communities um, that you feel um, you belong to or just people with similar interests. It's just we also need to take into account our mental health and that life is physical um most of the time so yeah I'm still trying to figure that one out yeah I think I I wrote something if I if I can remember correctly but like generally speaking specifically with Instagram people are only presenting what they want us to see not Mm. what's actually behind the curtain (laughs) so I think often, like, even when they're like, oh, this is like, you know, no, no filters, no this, no that. um, People are still only showing you what they want you to see and not what's actually happening, Um, which it's like, you know, what happened to just living life as it's (laughs) as it's actually happening uh, which is, I've had some people come up to me before, like, yeah, to be fair, like my photos, I, I try and like, li- like, not not live a hashtag curated lifestyle. But like, <laughs> I mean, it, people are gonna do what people do. And I think it's just, it's just the way life is, is that people are like, Oh, my, my photos need to be edited and beautiful and this and that. I honestly, I just want to post photos of my food and, you know, (laughs) just want to like live my life. That's it. I guess it's about understanding why you're using a certain platform. Um, Because if you have that very clear in your head, then there's less risk about um, getting pulled into directions that um, you're not really consenting to. Yeah, I think what I've what I've also decided is I don't sound so blunt. I don't really care if like 
if people want to follow me because they love and enjoy my content, great. Come and follow me. That's wonderful. But also I'm not posting anything that's like radical or unique. I'm literally just posting like my, my new work and I'm posting maybe some photos of myself and I'm posting some like food photos, like (laughs) come join this ride. That's it. (laughs) That's all we've got going over here. (laughs) So if you're into that, come and join me. Otherwise there's nothing too exciting going on here. (laughs) Yeah. It's about having an inner scorecard rather than the outer score outer scorecard yeah amazing uh amanda i had such a great time (laughs) um i think yeah uh you're the only one who asked me about um actually no maybe the second person about my own creative process that was cool to be on the other side Uh, (laughs) Uh, i'm glad to ask you Uh, but yeah, I had so much fun and thank you for, for being open and just sharing with us, um, your journey and some of the, of the lessons of your life so far. Yeah, this was great. Thank you so much. It was such a like chill interview and I'm glad we could just like chat. You've been listening to the Creativity Everything podcast, which is produced and hosted by Camille Favreau with audio editing by Sam Sturmer. It's co-produced and has music by me, David Gauntlet. I run the Creativity Everything Lab at Ryerson University. Creativity Everything was founded to support all kinds of creators and all kinds of creativity. We want to help you unlock your creative self. If you enjoyed it, please like and subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends.